Good morning. You know, we have a group of men that have been studying through Jeremiah, and we studied this passage, and I felt so deeply moved in my spirits, uh, as I seldom have uh, before to to teach on, on this topic. I, uh, when, I, when we were going through it as a man, it was just like the Lord said to me, read, preach this word. So I did, and I prepared it for this morning. And I want to talk to you this morning about the danger of self-pity. And particularly self-pity in our service to the Lord. Um, and I'm going to take this, this message, this lesson from Jeremiah, uh, the Old Testament prophet. And I hesitate to use Jeremiah as an example of this, of self-pity, because he is one of the most heroic servants in, of God in the Bible. And this episode of despair and self-pity should not be the main thing you know about him. He is one of the greatest examples in the Bible of faithfully standing for God when the entire culture has rejected God. He was given an assignment from God to call the people of Judah back to God and to warn them if they did not, turn back to God, God would judge them for their idolatry by sending them into captivity in Babylon. By human standards, Jeremiah's ministry was a complete failure. No one responded to his message. He saw no visible fruit from his ministry. He was despised. His own family and friends betrayed him and turned against him. The people plotted multiple times to assassinate him. Through all of this, through all of this incredible hardship, he served God faithfully and proclaimed God's message faithfully and he stood alone for God in a culture that was totally against God for over 40 years. Yet, for a period of time, he fell into self-pity. And he said some things that he should not have said. And in Jeremiah chapter 15, this this great prophet of God, he sinks to one of his lowest points emotionally and spiritually. He feels utterly abandoned by God and mistreated by people. And he's in despair. His, His prayers are filled with complaint and despair. I mean, he's to the point, why, I wish I'd never been born. And that's how, what verse 10 basically says. He's to that, he's that low. Now, I want to be careful here because it is good that he expresses those, his feelings and his emotions to God. And it is good to tell God your griefs and your sorrows and your frustrations. All right, so don't misunderstand me. It is good to pour out your your complaint to God. Yet, Jeremiah crosses a line and he falls into self-pity. He goes from sadness into a self-indulgent kind of sadness. And he makes rash accusations against God for which the Lord rebukes him. And he comes, Jeremiah comes close to losing his privilege as God's spokesman as a result of his self-pity and some of his charges against the Lord. 
Now, this passage and not just this passage, but the, the entire life of Jeremiah shows us just how hard life can be. I mean, if you read through the book of Jeremiah, I mean, I want to cry for this guy. I mean, you really read what he went through. You want to weep for him. But this book and this passage also shows just how wrong self-pity is, no matter how hard life gets. And my prayer, my hope, and and as this passage, the way it functioned on me, it, it, it acted as a mirror And it can act as a mirror for us this morning to show us our own self-pity. And maybe you will see a little bit of yourself in Jeremiah. And it also shows us how much God hates self-pity. It shows us how much God is opposed to self-pity. So that we might turn away from it. So that we might not make room for it in our lives so that, so that we would slam the door shut on it and not allow it a place. Now, thankfully, Jeremiah does repent of his self-pity and God reassures him, reassures him of his love for him and his presence with him in, in a powerful spoken word, a, sp- a powerful word of the Lord to Jeremiah of, of his presence and his faithfulness to him. And we'll, we'll look at that more later. And, and these may be words that you need to hear just as badly as Jeremiah did. Self-pity simply means pity for oneself. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a self-absorbed unhappiness over one's own troubles Self-pity is is a disagreement with God over how life and how he has has treated us. It's been called the most destructive vice a person can have, even more dangerous than pride. But of course, it is a kind of pride. It's a kind of worship of ourselves and and our own comforts. And it's, it's becoming angry that we have not received the kind of treatment or blessing or whatever uh, that we feel we should have. Because self-pity is so damaging, I believe Satan delights to sow the seeds of self-pity in our thoughts. And I, I'm not immune and, and you probably are not either. You know, when Jesus explained that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and he must be killed... Uh, Peter tried to give him some thoughts of, that would align his, his thoughts with self-pity. Peter said, far be it from you, Lord, this must never happen to you. And I was I'm very, very interested to, lead, to read in the, the notes of one particular study Bible that said, where, where Peter said, far be it from you, Lord, this must never happen to you. That's, that's, that's more of a, an explanation, more than a, a, a literal translation. Actually, says, "May God pity thee, and give thee a better fate, or pity thyself." That's that's what Peter was trying to inject pity 
into Christ's statement that he must suffer and suffer many things and that he must be killed. And so Jesus viewed, because, because of, the, of the fact that these were thoughts of injecting self-pity, Jesus viewed these thoughts as coming from the devil. And he said, get behind me, Satan. So when you hear a voice, voice telling you that you should not have to have things so hard as you do, or that painful things shouldn't happen to you or that, or that you deserve better, you can be sure that it's coming from the devil. Now, I know this introduction is getting kind of long, but I specifically mention self-pity in serving the Lord because for many who have followed Jesus for many years, this is precisely the area of life that can provoke the most bitter and most dangerous kind of self-pity. It's kind of like, I did so much for Jesus, and now look what I get. And people, people actually can think that way. And that's, that's really the, the underlying attitude that we see in Jeremiah in this, in, in this passage. So in, in your line of duty to the Lord, what, whatever it is, in your home, in your, in your family, with your, with your children, if, particularly if you have young children at work or in the church, there's a danger that you can so magnify your personal cost and your painful things, of which there are personal costs and painful things. I'm not minimizing that. But there's a danger that we can so magnify our personal costs and hurts that you begin to be unhappy with God over your situation. And it could be simple things like, you know, why can't I get a good night's sleep like everybody else? Or, you know, I just can't take it anymore. Or why do things like this always happen to me? Or why is it always my fault? Or when is it going to be my turn? Or when are other people going to step up up and help? I can't do everything. Um, Why do others see success so simply and easily and I struggle to see very little? And, you know, and on and on. You, you, I, I think you can probably imagine things either that you hear. You probably can recognize things that you hear in other people that sound like self-pity a lot quicker than you can hear them in, in your own thoughts. But if we do not carefully cultivate an attitude of, 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 of gratitude, a focus on God, tr- really, really walking in the, a mindset of faith, we can lose we can lose, even, even those of us who are you know, serving the Lord for a long period of time, we can lose the first joy that we had in our salvation and, and can really be walking around, maybe even perhaps unaware of it, but with, with a lot of our attitude and mindset colored by an attitude of self-pity. And we're going to look at this a little more in detail, but you know, really, Jeremiah looked back to the beginning of God speaking to him, and he said, you know, when your word came to me, uh, they were the, they were my heart's they were my joy and my heart's delight, um, but that memory of past joy was was really spoken in, in a prayer where where he is he is so down that he accused he accuses God of making his his pain unending and his wounds incurable. 
He accused, even accused God of failing him, of being like a spring that fails. And I, I, as, as I saw it when I was reading this passage, it's, it's really Jeremiah saying, you know, I, re- I received your word with joy at the beginning, and yet it has turned out like this. There's just there's this note of note of self pity. Now Jeremiah is not the only one of God's servants in the Bible to fall into kind of this kind of self absorbed despair and complaint. Uh, Moses, Elijah, Habakkuk, Job, all had their moments too. And I I think that's evidence that if 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 the greatest of God's people struggle with this at times, that that tells me that it's, that it's not that uncommon. And that we might struggle with it from time to time, too. All right, now I want to just look at the circumstances of of Jeremiah's self-pity. Number one, or I I would say the first circumstances that kind of helped give rise to this self-pity was simply that God did not do what Jeremiah wanted him to do. Ever ever have that happen? (laughs) Uh, in another, another way we might put it is God, God didn't answer his prayer. Uh, Jeremiah saw the people suffering at, at this, in chapter 14 in drought and famine under, under the effects of God's judgment. And in verse 7 of chapter 14, he questions God and he says, Why are you like a stranger in the land? Why are you like a warrior that is powerless to save? Why did you abandon us? In other words, God, why don't you, why don't you do something? You, you seem to, you, you have power. You, you claim to be a mighty warrior. Um, why, why aren't you using your power uh, to do something for me, for us? Ever been there? Ever felt that way? Well, not to get into too much context, but in verse 10, God, God tells them that the people of Judah, they've been lived in blatant idolatry for so many generations, for so long. They've had so many warnings. They've, they've reached a point where God says, I, I won't relent. Judge, judgment is coming. And uh, the people just will not restrain themselves from evil. And Jer- God actually tells them, don't, don't pray for the well-being of this people. Almost if I could think of a parallel, it would be like almost if we read the book of Revelation and we read about the wrath of the Lamb coming upon this world and we would say, Lord, no, no, don't bring that. Well, I mean, in a sense, God has already determined that someday there's going to be a day of judgment and nothing that we can say or pray is going to change that. And that's kind of what God had told told Jeremiah. But Jeremiah doesn't take no for an answer. He goes ahead and prays again. One of the most beautiful and earnest prayers in, uh, you could ever pray in Jeremiah fourteen nineteen through 22. He says, again, he says, Have you rejected Judah completely? Why have you afflicted us? We hope for peace, but no good has come. He even says, Lord, we acknowledge our wickedness. Our hope is in you, O Lord, our God. But the Lord said to Jeremiah, Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, I would not answer that prayer. And I mean, sometimes it's the sometimes it's the will of the Lord is the will of the Lord, and he just God says, "I've already decided, Jeremiah. I've told you." And uh, so, but rather, than, I, I can't get into that too much. That would be a very interesting discussion to spend some time on that. 
But it was just very hard for Jeremiah to deal with that because that wasn't what he wanted. He, did, he wanted God to do something different. And so it, 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 it upset him. It disturbed him. And when your prayers are not being answered in the way or in the time that you wanted, it can tempt you to, dis, to despair and self-pity. When it doesn't seem like God is responding to you, when it doesn't seem like God is using his great and awesome power to do what you think he should do with it, uh, it can tempt you to self-pity. Secondly, on top of this, dis- this disappointment with what God is doing, uh, Jeremiah was being severely mistreated by the very people that he was praying for. And he wonders how God can let that happen. As I said earlier, I mean, Jeremiah lived a, basically a life of total rejection. I and mean, we, we can't even understand it. We have people around us that like us, at least some, or one or two at least. And Jeremiah was totally rejected. He was, he was uh, uh, mocked. He was put in prison. They plotted to kill him. And in a sense, he feels that God has, has not protected him. And he feels so low over this that in, in, in chapter 15, verse 10, the very first verse that, that Mike read for us, he says, he says, Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth. And I, I actually like the way Mike read this. He made a little slip of the tongue when he was reading the scripture here. Uh, he said, Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole world... Uh, and Mike, he, then he corrected himself and said the whole land. Well, that's really what he means. Really what Mike said there is, he's, I feel like the whole world is against me. The NET uh, version translates it this way. Oh, mother, oh, my mother, how I regret that you ever gave birth to me. Woe is me. Or how terrible for me, my mother, that you gave birth to me, is another translation. I wish I had not been born. Why did I ever come out of the womb and see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Which Jeremiah states in another passage. That's pretty low. That's pretty low. Uh, and that's how, that's how low we can sometimes get in certain seasons of life. Um, perhaps you, you would never admit that to anybody else. Um, but maybe some of you have felt that low at some time. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing to talk like that. Um, I, I think it's clear as we move on through this passage that Jeremiah was getting out of bounds in what he was saying. Um, And he needed a change in perspective. But it's very realistic and just in our humanness, uh, that's how how we can feel. And the last half of the verse tells us why he felt that way. I am am a man with whom the whole world or the whole land... I'm going to change that translation. Mike, I love that. I am a man with whom the whole world strives and contends. And then he says something very interesting. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. Um, 
often it's been said that the very best way to ruin any friendship is to loan money or to borrow money. And Jeremiah says, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I haven't tried to ruin my friendships by loaning or borrowing money, and yet I have no friends. They all, they all curse me. The whole land has turned against me. And that is a fact. I mean, Jeremiah is actually pretty true in his assessment of facts. But yet God wanted Jeremiah to believe what he had told him in the beginning. And this would go clear back to Jeremiah chapter 1. The very first thing, when the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, I have made you like a fortified city, like an iron pillar, like a bronze wall to stand firm against the whole land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. But Jeremiah, at this point in his life, at this season in his life, in this low point in his self-pity, he forgot that promise. He wasn't mindful of that promise. And he indulged in this deep unhappiness over his trouble. Number three, or the, the third uh, circumstance of, uh, associated with or kind of giving rise to Jeremiah's self-pity is that Jeremiah feels that he has paid a big price for living a righteous life. And some of us probably need, probably need to listen up on, on this one a bit. Jeremiah speaks about how much he has suffered how much he has loved God's word and how he has kept himself separate from sinners. Okay, those are all good things, right? Those are all very good things. But it's clear from the context and as we go on that Jeremiah is speaking about these things in a mood of, of self-pity. There's, there's this, this tinge of, of self-righteousness. It's, again, it's like, after all I've done for you, Lord... After how good I've been for you, Jesus, after all I've suffered, and I'll just reiterate these very quickly, 1515, Lord, think of how I have suffered reproach for your sake. I mean, he wants the Lord to know. Lord, in case you haven't seen, in case you haven't noticed, Lord, I I want you to notice, I want you to see how much I have suffered for your sake. He just feels that God has to be reminded of that, that God is unaware. God, don't you see what people have done to me? Don't you care? And again, when your words came, I ate them. They were the joy of my heart's delight. I believe, again, that what Jeremiah is talking about is when the Lord, when the word, when God spoke to him at the very beginning and called him, called him to to be his spokesman, his prophet. Jeremiah was thrilled. I received that with joy. I had the right response to you, Lord. I had the right response to you, God. But what what do I get for it? Verse 17, I never sat in the company of revelers. I never made merry with them. I never, I never, never went to wild parties. I never caroused. I sat alone because your hand was on me. I kept myself separate from evil people. 
and I suffered loneliness for it. And don't kid yourself, there is a loneliness in righteous living. But that's not to be the main thing that we're aware of. The Lord is our friend and our helper and savior and he will never leave us or forsake us. And I love that verse in Hebrews. You know, I will never leave you. I will never ever leave you or forsake you so that we may confidently say, what can man do to me? He's basically saying, People, I mean, that promise is saying, people can't hurt me. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty bold statement. Uh, and, and certainly on a human level, they, they can, but, you know, ultimately, God is saying, I am so faithful to you, I will never leave you, I will ever, never forsake you. And I, I, am, I am so much your companion that, you can confidently say, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And I mean, if Jeremiah had, had been, been thinking of that, I, he would have had a little, little different perspective. People, people can't ultimately hurt me. What can man, what can they do to me? God is with me. God is my faithful friend forever. Do we believe that? Do you believe that this morning? And, of course, at this moment, instead of that perspective, Jeremiah felt sorry for himself. Now, let me say again. I mean, it's good. It is good to suffer. All right? It's good to suffer for the Lord. It is, it is, it is good to be righteous. <laughs> it's good to be good. But it is never good when we start to feel sorry for ourselves for being righteous, for suffering, for being good. Then Jeremiah's self-pity really starts to kick in in verse 18. He says, Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? Obviously, Jeremiah felt hurt hurt and wounded. I mean, he said, My, my pain never ends. And, and again, uh, in our, in our humanness, we we feel that way at times. I mean, it's, at times life seems like a long dark tunnel with no light at the end. I mean, it just seems like seems like the the trouble is 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 never ending. Uh, we gave a birthday card to my sister uh, a couple of weeks ago. It I guess it has a mild swear word in it, but it says. Uh, it has this picture of this blonde on the front, and, she's, and she says, "Where the heck is Easy Street?" And you know, it's just sometimes it just seems like that. I mean, you know, when will life get any easier? It seems it just seems like the troubles and trials are no are non-ending, and we do go through things in this world as believers, as people who love Jesus, that bring that bring a lot of emotional pain. But, but here's, here's, here's really the critical, critical thing. We have to be careful that we, that we don't get carried away with what we say and what we think. It, it, is, it is true that we, we, that we have pain and that we are 
wounded by certain things and even people. But it is completely over the top and it is ungodly and it is unbelief to say, I am incurable or my pain is incurable. And there is no end to it. Those, those, are, those are statements of unbelief. They're statements of self-pity. That's, that's really refusing to, to believe that God can heal. It's refusing to believe that God can save and comfort you. So, if you're not careful, the hurts and wounds of life can lead to self-pity as it did in Jeremiah's life. Well, up to, up to this point, God has just listened. Uh, but, but then Jerah, cont- Jeremiah continues, and he, and he, and he really goes, goes too far. He begins to accuse God of not being good. And he says, will you be to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails? You know, there was a time early, earlier on where Jeremiah declared that God was a fountain of living water. And now, in, in his self-pity and he despairs, in his despair, he questions if God is a fountain that has failed. Will you be to me like a spring that fails me? In a sense, Jeremiah is saying, uh, God, you, you deceived me. You, you promised you led me to believe something and you didn't deliver. I thought things were going to be better than this. I feel, I feel let down. I feel deceived. And some commentators even feel that Jeremiah f- was feeling that God had deceived him into the ministry. He pulled him in as his, his servant and felt all thrilled and had so much joy about being a prophet of God. And, and then it turns out to be a life of pain. And, and so he's really accusing God of not, not, being, not being faithful. Again, there is, there is something right about taking our feelings of despair and discouragement to God and telling him just how we feel. But there's a point where our self-pity crosses the line and begins, where our self-pity begins to become dangerous self-destructive, and an affront to God. And that's, that's the point that Jeremiah was at. Uh, at this point, Jeremiah's emphasis on his own suffering, his own righteousness was becoming self-absorbed, self-indulgent, just too much, unhealthy. And after listening to these things, the Lord said, Jeremiah, you need to repent. He's just like, right... You know, Jeremiah, the, just the Lord declares out of the blue, I've heard enough. <laughs> I've heard enough, Jeremiah. You need to repent. And verse 19, therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. I found that kind of shocking. I mean, the Lord tells him, at least indirectly, that he... He's been suspended. He's been at least 
in some way temporarily put on the sideline. He said, you need to repent, Jeremiah. And if you do, I will restore you that you may serve me again. Your words of self-pity and complaint and accusation have, have jeopardized your ministry as a prophet. That's pretty serious. Pretty serious. So, what is the solution to self-pity? How, how do we uh, slam the door on this evil and destructive attitude in our hearts? Alright, number one. You need a confrontation that leads you to repent. You need a confrontation that leads or calls you to repentance. In other words, somehow, you need the same thing to happen to you that happened to Jeremiah. <laughs> you, need, you need something to bring this complaint to an end. And you need, you need to somehow hear the Lord say, Honey... You need to repent. Or my son or my daughter, watch out what you're saying. Things need to change. Now, if anyone could justify self-pity, it might be Jeremiah. I mean, we might say Job. But my goodness, Job's, Job's situation was severe. Jeremiah's was, was, was longer, more drawn out. I don't know. But I mean, if anybody could justify self-pity, it would be Jeremiah. Yet, Yet God would not let it go without dealing with it. You know, he, he doesn't just uh, excuse it. Even as good a man as Jeremiah is, God says, no, this needs to be dealt with. God is not okay with it. He's not. He views it as pretty serious stuff. He is merciful to you. <clears throat> he loves you. He remembers you and your sufferings and hardship. But if, if, if you think that you can go on and on and on and on and on and on in your complaint about how hard you have it and how much suffering you have that you don't deserve it and all of that, you are wrong. God will find a way to correct you. Not because he doesn't love you, but because he does. And some of, us need to, some of us need the voice of the Lord to break through to our heart and say, hold it, that's enough. And that, again, that's exactly what the Lord did for Jeremiah. He, he interrupted his outpouring of self-pity and called him to repentance. And as I said earlier, I mean, some, some, of, some of us need to hear the Lord say, my son or my daughter, you shouldn't be talking like that. And so the very, very, very first thing or way to deal with it is, is just open up your heart. What is, what is the Lord saying to you about this? Uh, would, you, would you let the Lord, would you allow the Lord to speak to you? Would you open up your heart to hear what he might say to you about this? Verse 19 he says, if, if you utter worthy, worthy, not worthless words, you will be uh, my spokesman. So the Lord uh, calls Jeremiah's complaints worthless words. And sometimes we need to hear that. 
Sometimes we just need to hear the way that you're talking, the words that you're speaking in self-pity are worthless words. They're, they're not good words. And, you know, we probably need to hear it from God. It's pretty difficult to hear it from another person. Uh, once in a while, maybe somebody can love us enough or be close enough to us um, to help us with that. But we really need to listen in our hearts to hear, hear what God has to say to us. Um, and I believe, I do believe, if you listen in your heart, you may be able to hear the Lord's loving rebuke. Um, and your response is to repent. Your response is to say, Lord, you're right. I needed to hear that. And I, I turn away in complete revulsion to this kind of thinking and speaking. Now, something that helped Jeremiah was for God to show him the severe consequences that would, that would come without a change of of attitude. Um, he, again, as I said, he jeopardized being God's spokesman. I mean, you think about what a great privilege Jeremiah had. He was the mouthpiece for God in his day. And in his self-pity, he forgot it. And I, I, I don't think most of us realize how much we are jeopardizing when we allow ourselves to indulge in self-pity. You, you could lose your voice, so to speak, for the Lord. I mean, you, you lose, you lose your, your credibility and, and blessing as a, as a spokesperson for the Lord. Secondly, I think it helps to see the great privilege of belonging to God and being used by God, even if it is hard. The thing that that apparently awakened Jeremiah from his mood of self-pity was, was this privilege. I mean, God said, if you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy words, you will be my spokesman. And so it's, I mean, it's kind of like he's saying, you're, you're going to be restored to ministry. And so he, he basically says to Jeremiah, the, the, the reward of repentance is, again, serving me and speaking for me. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great privilege to serve the Lord in your home, in your church, in your neighborhood. It's a great thing to feel that, that I am the Lord's and the Lord's is mine and that, that, I, that I in some way am a minister and ambassador. Everyone, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about for every one of us. That I, that I am, I am ambas- an ambassador, a spokesman for, for, for God. And uh, when we see what a great privilege that is, it should lead us away from self-pity so that we would not jeopardize that. And it's interesting. God did not promise Jer- Jeremiah that things would suddenly become easier. He promised him ministry. I will let you serve me. I will let you serve me if you, get, if you come out of this rut of self-pity. I'll be able to lose, use your life. And then th- third, so we need the confrontation that calls us to repentance. We need to see the, uh, the, the severity of what self-pity can bring. Secondly, we need to see the great privilege of serving God and how getting rid of self-pity restores us to that place of being u- useful in the hands of God, being an instrument of God again. Uh, and then third, we need to open our heart to listen to the Lord speak to us about his love and protection. 
to Jeremiah, he said, I will make you... Basically, he went back and repeated the same promise he gave to him at the very beginning. He said, Jeremiah, I will make you a fortified city. This is verse 20 and 21. I will make you a fortified city or a wall of bronze to to this people. They will fight against you, um, but will not overcome you, for I am with you to rescue you and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the cruel. And so basically God says, You've, Jeremiah, you feel abandoned, but I have not abandoned you. So stop talking like an abandoned person because you're not. I am with you to save you, to rescue you, to deliver you. And much of Jeremiah's complaint about his persecution was that was just how horribly mistreated he had been. But God says, I will make you amazingly strong. I'll make you like like a wall of bronze. I mean, he's using these images that are the most powerful word pictures of strength that could imagine. The people will still fight against you, Jeremiah, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you to rescue you and save you. And today, this morning, God speaks those very same words to you, for I am with you to rescue you and save you. Today, God is with you to save you and rescue you. In one sense, that's all you need to hear to pull you out of the quicksand of self-pity. You just need need to hear the voice of God. (laughs) Fourth and last... I'm going to hold you over just a second here for this. But fourth and last, instead of self-pity, consider the great suffering of others and especially Jesus. It seems to me as if Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is written for a people indulging in self-pity. The author of Hebrews in, in chapter 11 has just listed all the men and women who believed God who had faith, who, held, had, who maintained faith through incredible suffering. It says they were tortured, some were mocked and flogged, still others were chained and put in prison, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground." Think about that when you are tempted to indulge in self-pity. That, you know, you didn't get enough sleep last night or that your car needs a brake job or that someone looked at you in an offensive way at work or uh, somebody didn't say hi to you or, or you've got too much laundry to do or, or whatever or the Hawkeyes didn't win or you got sewer water backed up in your basement. I mean, real problems, real problems. But... Somehow they don't quite measure up to being sawn in two or chained and put in prison or put to death with the sword. And he goes on to say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such 
a cloud of witnesses. Since we are surrounded like peop- by people like this that went through these kinds of things, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us And it just may be that that sin that so easily entangles us is self-pity. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Not, Not only these men and women of faith who suffered so incredibly, but let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Consider him... Think about him when you're tempted to self-pity. Think about him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That changes our perspective on everything. And Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus went to the cross and he invites us to take up our cross daily and follow him. Uh, That means that every day we are prepared to die to our own self, to die to our own self-interest, to our own self-preservation, our own self-promotion and follow. And we do it like Jesus out of the joy set before us. So a big part of overcoming self-pity is just ex- accepting uh, self-denying, accepting bearing, picking, taking up our cross as a part of everyday life and following Jesus. We just, okay, that's, that's life. Yes, that's life. This goes wrong. This person lets me down. This doesn't work out the way I want it. That's, I'm following Jesus. It's take up our cross daily and, and follow and follow him. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Well, first of all, he says, let us, let us consider this great cloud of witnesses. Think about what they went, went through. Think about Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, what he went through. And it'll, it'll cure, cure you. It will cure you of your self-pity. And you'll not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for just the power of your word to speak to the, to the needs of our heart. Thank you for this passage in Jeremiah. Um, thank, you, thank you, God, for, for loving Jeremiah enough to call him uh, to repentance of, from these attitudes of self-pity. Thank you for loving each one of us this morning enough to call us away from that, uh, for, call, for calling us away from the danger and the destructive power of self-pity. Thank you, God, for rescuing us from that. And I pray to you with most earnestness this morning that you would use this message by your grace and by your spirit alone to heal us of this deadly and sinful disease. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.